Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm so glad that you joined us here. I hope you're having a blessed day wherever you may be in our fine universal church. Well, I'm really excited to introduce you to Connor McHugh, another faith-based podcaster, similar to what we're doing here at the Catholic Connect podcast. He's got a podcast called Plotlines, and he's got a real interesting testimony about how the grace of God reignited his love for Jesus and for the Catholic Church and has a very interesting perspective and insights on his podcast. We also talk a little bit about uh, the world of fiction books and uh, fantasy books and age-appropriate reading, especially for for our young people. And uh, indeed, there are so many good books out there for Catholics of all ages to read, but we certainly, certainly need to make sure that we're getting the right books in our children's hands. So let's start with a quote, and it has to do with reading good books. Here's how it goes. In a good book, the Lord enlightens us and inflames us with divine love. Whoever desires to be saved and to acquire divine love should often read these letters of paradise, end quote from the great St. Augustine. And uh, hey, you know, if we're going to be putting good books in front of us, let's start with Holy Scripture first and foremost. Then let's have the catechism in front of us so that we can learn our faith. And also let's learn the lives of the saints. Uh, so beautiful, so many great stories and great uh, uh, stories of inspiration for us in the spiritual world. And of course, uh, these people lived just like us not that long ago, a lot of them too. You think of some of these great saints that have come before us, like of course, St. John Paul II and Mother Teresa, Padre Pio. Uh, and then we go back uh, all the way back to the times of Christ and the early church fathers. We've got so many great examples that we can read about and we can uh, we can really imitate. And these are the the folks that we need to really look up to and let's not make idols of, of uh, celebrities and athletes and uh, they all have their place but uh, really the people that we really need to follow the example of is our saints 100 percent. and in addition to having some great books to read and to consume and fill our minds and our souls with it's also nice to have some good conversations so i'm really excited to share this chat that i had with connor McHugh. here it comes we'll see you on the other side of the interview my friends Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, Connor McHugh is a lifelong Catholic and a fellow traveler on this cool and intriguing world of Catholic media. And you can check out his faith-based podcast called Plotlines on your favorite podcast platform, or you can check out Connor's YouTube channel as well. So uh, real pleased and honored to welcome Connor McHugh to the Catholic Connect podcast. Welcome, Connor. Thank you, David, for having me. Well, it's great to have you. You're uh, from an undisclosed bunker uh, in the uh, the Midwest of the United States, so it's uh, great to catch up with you. And uh, yeah. so, have you ever been to Canada before? You're uh, in, in Illinois. The state of Illinois is where you uh, where you dwell. But uh, have you ever made the mm-hmm. the trek up to uh, the Great White North? Nope, I have not. I've not. I've not actually left the states ever. So, oh, is haven't that right? been out. Yeah. So, not, not Canada. Not Mexico. Nowhere. So when you hear Canada, what do you think? Uh, do you think uh, you know a uh, bunch of igloos or uh, snowmobiles? What what's the first thought that comes to your head when you think of somebody says Canada to you? Um, cold and nice, like nice people, <laughs> but but uh, a little extra cold for um. But it's not Midwest, but nicer people, I guess on the on the surface at least. I guess you get some nasty weather out there too, right? It's not always mm-hmm. uh, sunshine and roses around where you live. And, uh, yeah. but you know what, we love our hockey here too. And, uh, you're relatively close to the, the Chicago Blackhawks. So, uh, obviously there's a big following of, of hockey in the original six. I mean, that team has been around forever. Uh, so, uh, Hey, we've always got that uh, connection as well. Well, hopefully one day you can come mm-hmm. up here and, and check out the great white North. That would be, uh, that'd be pretty cool. So, um, yeah. tell me about, uh, how you got started in your, your life and your, your upbringing and how the, uh, the, the, the seeds of faith were planted in you at a young age. Yeah, so I'm uh I'm uh 23. So I'm I'm on the y- young side. Um I am uh I I have three siblings. All of them are older than me. So I am the baby like you. Um and so I I'm pretty sure I would say I had a sort of average um catholic upbringing not um not super devout necessarily uh as a family uh but also going to mass every sunday so it there was the, you know 
it was very suburban Catholic um, upbringing. Um, I went to Catholic grade school, then I went to public high school, and then, um, you know, from there, uh, public college. So really, it didn't really start off as much of a sort of a faith um, focused as probably I would have liked. I got more interested in politics before I got interested in faith. And, um, but it, even the politics was based on an understanding of the faith. Really abortion was the main thing that sort of got me, um, I guess, political as well as understanding where the church was coming from and trying to um, maintain maintain the beliefs of the church while also living sort of just a basic normal life. I was, wasn't really interested in um, pursuing my faith through um, outside of just obligations. It was very obligatory as well as very much, okay, the church believes this. I am of said church, so I need to believe those things as well. I was never a rebellious child in that. It was just, but I also had no real interest. I had a more love of history ever since um, fifth grade. So I've had a really love, a great love of history. And that sort of um, impo- or made Catholicism a more, a greater sort of interest. I don't know if many of your audience members have ever played like a lot of strategy games, a lot of strategy like um, video games, but a lot of those involve like, spreading religion or um religious politics and stuff like that so i so it was always fun for me because i always thought oh okay well i got i even in video games i tried to follow uh like or the catholic faith i tried to spread catholicism i you know i had no interest in being like in a muslim country or an orthodox country or you know there's a um there's this game called eu4 you know that you could choose to become a Protestant country when it, when the Protestant Reformation comes about, like I'd never want to do that. So it was very much, I held to Catholicism as an identity and very much, okay, so this is my identity. I need to um, adhere to said identity. I appreciated when other people were Catholic, it was, you know, not as good when other people weren't Catholic and that sort of thing. But I never, it was never really brought to my attention sort of the, I don't know, how important it was, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I think a lot of people, even today uh, in Canada, you think of a place like Quebec, we've got a lot of Catholic brothers and sisters there. Almost all of them are still baptized Catholics, but have taken the identity of a, of a Catholic over the practice of a Catholic. And uh, unfortunately, that's really resulted in... Uh, yeah, just a, a real decline in faith there. and uh, But we always have a lot of hope here in Canada and especially uh, in the church, even in, in Western Canada, that uh, Quebec will regain its Catholic faith and 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 practice again and uh, become the church that uh, that God wants them to be. So it's still an exciting time, I think, for, for us. But that's interesting how you said that, um, you know, you, you pick that identity because I know even, you know, when you meet a stranger and you find out that they're a Catholic um, you know, it's, uh, there's something that's kind of this, this kinship that's really hard to explain to someone, uh, that's not baptized. Mm-hmm. You do feel that there's a connection regardless of how they practice their faith. There's certainly a, a connection that goes in the spiritual world with our souls that, uh, that is difficult to explain to someone who is not baptized, but, uh, maybe explain to us a little bit about, uh, how you went from the identity of being a Catholic and nice to join, to be in the club because it is a, an intriguing, mm-hmm. uh, club or, or if you're from the outside looking to the Catholic world, being a Catholic, hmm, there's something kind of interesting about that. You know, it's people see our architecture, they see the people, they see that there is a universality of our church that goes across every country in the world. So I think there are people that are very interested to see what are these guys all about. So when did that, uh, that bridge uh, from you being a, that identity Catholic into being a, a practicing and serious Catholic, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, sort of uh, like um, people noticing uh, the unity of sort of Catholic culture in some ways. But, you know, in um, it's interesting because Illinois suburban 
Catholicism doesn't really have that much of an identity, doesn't have that much of an architectural, you know, sort of basis. It doesn't really have as much unifying because a lot of the churches are very um, banal. They're very ugly. Same, they're, same um, here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, but th- but there are places where you look at the architecture and they are very much you know that way. That's mostly in Europe or just in older churches. There there are still some older churches in the area, and uh, those are much much better looking. But it's definitely there's not that much appealing from a, a suburban uh, Catholic Catholicism, even in identity. What really got me was history, which is kind of so like my history. It was all internal. It was all, you know, stuff that I learned or thought that was interesting, but nothing that I experienced external that made me interested in, you know, sort of appreciative of Catholic identity. But yeah, so in uh, in high school, I had a um, a, uh, a sort of traumatic incident that uh, brought about a, a lot of anxiety. So uh, I went through a time period where it was just very hard to do basic things. It was just very difficult to be in a place and be comfortable. And I eventually went to a psychiatrist about, or it was a psychologist, I can't remember which, but, and um, that, uh, that uh, psychiatrist or psychologist helped me work through a lot of um, my, uh, I guess, fears and anxiety. And part of that actually had a lot to do with, um, or what stuck with me. I guess I, I didn't work through it at the time, but the person, you know, uh, asked if I was, you know, if I, since I was a Catholic, uh, did I really believe in this stuff? You know, did it like, well, it doesn't matter to me. Like, um, because, you know, it's a good question given like the situation. I should have more trust in God given the fact that I, um, you know, say that I'm a believing Catholic. Um, so that really stuck with me more so uh, going forward and not so much, it wasn't as important at the moment, but, you know, I was having a lot of trouble going to church because it was very uncomfortable and I was, and I, uh, you know, and it didn't seem that worth it. It wasn't, very, it wasn't a very, um, it didn't seem worthwhile. And I was having a lot of trouble going up for communion because I would get very anxious in the line, in these long lines um, to go up to communion. And I would, you know, I would try different strategies to figure that out. But also it was pushing me away from wanting to go to church because or, you know, wanting to receive communion because I just, you know, it was so stressful and so anxiety ridden that it made it um, very difficult. Now, uh the time with the psychologist had made it so that it was more um, more endurable or more I was able to endure it better better uh, just general things and over time it became a lot easier and then going to college it became even easier not that there weren't relapses I had a lot I had moments when you know it came about but I sort of began to let go of that anxiety more and more and you know it still remains in sort of a little bit but it's not as prevalent but really it made me just have to decide especially in college whether i really believed that the eucharist was the body blood soul and divinity of our lord jesus christ because i you know i was sitting there and you know i didn't know that like back in the day not everyone received all the time i didn't know mm-hmm. that that was like a, a i didn't know that was a thing because you know everyone everyone at every church where i'm or where i'm from gets up to go to communion no matter what which you know is a whole which isn't probably a problem in in of itself especially how few people go to confession i think Um, uh, i think you hit the nail on the head right there connor i think the uh by their fruits you will know them right mm -hmm. yeah yeah keep going yeah but yeah so that really had a lot to do with it i um and so my image of going to mass was you have to you you have to go to up for communion um, and I, I'm actually kind of putting some of this together right now because I'm I don't really think I was thinking about it very much at the time and even uh, right after. But so I didn't want to go to church because uh, and I would sometimes do things that would make me more anxious. So then I felt like I had an excuse that I um, couldn't go to church. Mm. 
So in college, I was um, I began to miss mass a few times, and you know, Catholic guilt is very strong uh, if you've um, allowed yourself to have Catholic guilt. You know, I I don't know I don't know if there's people that somehow manage to um, get away from Catholic guilt or they're just lying to themselves uh, if they fall away from the faith. But it's just uh, Catholic guilt definitely. Uh, held me to a position where I knew I needed to figure this out. I was hiding from it. I was uh, trying to avoid it. And really what happened was um, I just I just decided that it was worthwhile. I decided that I had to do this, that there any that I had come to also the conclusion that there was nothing else out there. There's nothing else worthwhile other than uh, the Catholic faith and without faith, there's nothing after death. So if there's nothing after death, there's nothing, there's no point to life and so on and so forth. So it just there, I had to do something. I had to make a decision and there weren't any other, there weren't any options. There weren't any true options in my, um, in my head. So I uh, sort of had to give it another shot and slowly that sort of became you know, something that I pushed as well as, you know, I went to sort of daily mass more and that was easier to receive communion Mm. because the lines are so much shorter because, you know, like it's a lot less stressful to go to uh, daily mass. So it became sort of a stepping stone to help me sort of get back to be able to be more comfortable in church by being in church more. So it basically pushed me to be in church more over time. And being in college and being at a Newman Center, I was able to sort of be at church much more. And that sort of led to different friendships uh, that were supportive of, um, you know, getting more into their faith uh, and then more community and that sort of thing. And then YouTube helped a lot with sort of learning about a lot of things. And I found the Latin Mass uh in 2019 and that really opened my eyes to a lot of things into a greater interest because having a uh, background uh, desiring to know more about history and desiring um sort of the sort of the i guess the epic uh, christianity that uh sort of doesn't seem to exist in the present but to sort of understand it as a historical perspective and then to find something like the Latin Mass was very appealing in that way. No, hundred percent. Well, let's go back to to what you mentioned about Catholic guilt too. I think that's interesting that you had a conscience that was actually that. That's what it is. You had a a, a formed conscience somewhere, you know, in your background. And when you were a child, there were certain things that you probably heard and were tucked away in your your brain and in your soul and your heart. More importantly. That were telling you that uh, you needed to to look to the sacraments, to go to confession, to go to mass, do those things, right? To uh, to come closer to Christ through the church. But sometimes, do you find that that Catholic guilt gets kind of weaponized by people a little bit? They say, you know, sometimes you talk to fallen away Catholics, and they say, well, the reason that I'm I'm not a Catholic anymore is, you know, this Catholic guilt was was bothering me too much, you know. And it's like, really, it seems like you're suppressing something that uh, that you needed to address, probably just through confession that you needed to address or there was some sort of uh, maybe a habitual sin of some sort that just kept coming up and up and then you're just, you kind of wave, wave the white flag, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, and, and then I think that there is that Catholic guilt that, you know, some Catholics experience where uh, there's a difference between being uh, formed properly with your conscience and having that conscience to, to draw you back to the sacraments, especially to confession. But there's also scrupulosity, which is something a little bit different too, right? Where you're just, you just can't seem to get out of, you know, I did something very small and you, you make kind of a mountain out of a molehill out of it and then it becomes a big issue in your life. Uh, I would say that that's probably the minority of Catholics, so not that many people deal with it. But there are some that do, and I know I've had a few boats myself where you're kind of getting that rut. But uh, what did it mean for you to uh, to kind of get back to the the sacramental life? You mentioned you're going to communion every day, which must have been a real blessing for you. Uh, but also, you probably were going to confession too at a at a regular rate. So, yeah, tell us about maybe that uh, uh, the experience that you had with the, with the sacraments and how that kind of brought you to the next level in your spiritual life. 
Yeah, I would say I also had a moment when I was uh, when I was talking to somebody who had been at the college that I had, who had graduated, and they had told me that you'll never have as um, consistent sacraments, as much consistent sacraments um, that you that you know um, that you'll have at this place because you'll never be living at church, basically, hmm. and. Um, that really stuck with me a lot and that made me this you know sort of more more willing to put more time and effort into it and not to mention just you know it was kind it became such a beautiful thing for me because it put much more order into my life and um <clears throat> I'm trying to think it's it's sometimes hard to go back to the early days uh, there weren't like even uh i only had a few friends at that point try, like that were just as interested as i was in in it in going to church more you know a lot of them just kind of went on sundays didn't really have much of an interest but i always enjoyed talking about the you know the deeper subjects and um, that, you know, the, the sort of uh, those sort of elements really helped. Um, but it's hard for me to sort of tell what the sort of um, the basic gifts of beginning to receive the sacraments more, because I wasn't like that far away from the sacraments at the time. It was just like a few times that I missed mass. And then I, you know. So it wasn't, um, I wasn't habitually missing um, the sacraments, but it was sort of, it was much more meaningful to me. Um, and I found that I had a, you know, a greater passion for the Catholic faith as I received the sacraments more. But um, would is that what you were looking for? Oh, yeah. Is there anything? Yeah, no, that makes sense for sure. And you said too that um, you know uh, I was just thinking you mentioned the Newman Center, so um, I believe is is that like a club in the United States that uh, at university campuses that that students can belong to and can I talk it theology? Can be, it's uh, also where I went. It was a um, dorm room. Sure, or it was a dorm, so it was a place that you could live. Um, mine was the is I think the biggest Newman Center in the country. Right. Uh, I think there's also some Newman Centers in England as well. Um, or I think it's the Newman Society yes. in England, and it's the Newman Center in uh, in America. And, you know, it just it's more of a community, you know, it's um, that you can belong to as well as a dorm. So it has t two purposes kind of. We have a Catholic college here that's uh, works in conjunction with our seminary called St. Joseph Seminary in Edmonton. That's called Newman Theological College. So there's a, a great love for uh, now Saint, uh, Cardinal Henry Newman. I was thinking about that quote when you mentioned history, to, uh, to be deep in history is to cease being a Protestant. So maybe we go to that next. And uh, you said you, you kind of discovered uh, traditional Latin Mass in 2019 um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and kind of uh, going back to... Um, you know, where the Catholic Church was, and it wasn't that long ago. We're talking only about, uh, you know, about 60 years ago when things changed a lot. So, and full disclosure to you and the audience, and I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, I've actually never been to a traditional Latin Mass, but I would consider myself a traditional Catholic, if that makes sense. I'm very, mm -hmm. very much uh, of that uh, that belief, and I think all people should be, actually. But, um, yeah, tell us a little bit about that discovery for you, what that meant, and uh, and how that affected your spiritual life. Yeah, it was actually funny. The year before, uh, or maybe it, was, it might have been actually the same year, I had, uh, there was, at the Newman Center, there was, it, it said Latin Mass at a certain time. It was, like, during the weekday. And I thought, huh, I wonder what that is. I, uh, I'm, I thought for for a second uh, it was like hispanic like latin american that type of thing like sure. i didn't know i'd never really connected the fact that latin i never really thought of it as a language i never thought of what it meant 
it's slightly deceiving when you learn about like sort of Latin America in the sense that they use Latin as a description, uh, as a description, but really what they're meaning is like romantic language. They're not meaning, they're not really meaning Latin in the, in the um, language or even in like the culture necessarily. They're meaning um, it's, it, they're meaning it so they can include Brazil. And like, I think French, uh, there's a French, uh, I think there's a French state in French speaking province in uh, South America too. So they can call it Latin America because it fits the Latin, um, the romance languages basically. Mm-hmm. And that's confusing to at least me, you know, learning what Latin America is and then uh, learning what Latin is. And that was confusing. So I was thinking, oh, this must be, you know, a, a Hispanic mass. So I was like, I'm, I don't know or I don't know Spanish. So I wasn't going to go to that. Um, but and it, it sometimes is really hard for me to remember when when it went from just like a greater devotion to going to the sac to the sacraments. And then to like um, list to like listening to podcasts and learning about the faith more. I'd always been uh, into like listening to podcasts and stuff like that. I had been listening to like Ben Shapiro and Dave Rubin and Joe Rogan and stuff like that. And, you know, in some ways it's pseudo intellectualism insofar as they're not really getting to the heart of the matter. They're not really getting to the answers they're just kind of they're asking the questions but they're not answering them Mm -hmm. like that's like yeah if you need if you want answers you have to go to basically the catholic faith Mm. mostly i mean you could have answered a lot of the questions previously a lot of you could go to philosophers there are plenty of philosophers that come to similar conclusions but the catholic faith is still basically the only institution that upholds um the truth mm. and um yeah, the objective you know, places, truth right yeah mm-hmm. yes exactly so there are some places that have part of the truth and stuff like that and you can find that and that's sometime and that's kind of what people are grasping onto when they're uh listening to different people that don't have the full truth um but but that sort of soon uh turned into kind of an in so like devotion turned into interest of sort of like the Catholic church in general. Cause I, I knew about Pope Francis. I knew that uh, I always had thought that he was just, you know, oh, everyone likes Pope Francis. So like, I'd always thought that was the situation. Like, but then, you know, politically I'd, I'd heard him uh, talk about certain things uh, that I disagreed with. And I, you know, I wasn't sure. I just kind of chalked it up to, him not really getting what's going on in America necessarily. But I mean, it's not like he's not wrong on certain things. He, you know, in some ways, American culture doesn't, doesn't, doesn't embrace, you know, conservatism in America doesn't really embrace uh, the full Catholic faith always. So sometimes you checking your bias regarding politics there um, can be a good thing. Um, but basically, that went to that turned into an interest in uh, Catholic stuff. I also began to read more. I became um, um, I, more so in fiction. I found a great love of uh, fiction and uh, Tolkien and uh, C.S. Lewis became a real um, a real um, I guess uh, what's the word uh, you know like they became the ideal you know sort of fiction wise so so i uh, learning about that and then learning about uh, what they believed in tolkien's catholic faith and that sort of thing really drew me even more into sort of the cultural stuff so then i did research into that you know i i don't know if anybody's heard of this professor he's a protestant professor but he's uh he did a lot of history like he teaches christian history and i thought he's he's very fair his name's ryan reeves He's on, um, he was on YouTube, but he hasn't done a video in forever, which is kind of, uh, and he has such a, I don't know, calm voice and stuff like that. So it's, it's just very, um, uh, and he did a lot on Tolkien and stuff like that. So I found that very interesting. And then eventually 
Uh, this was still when uh, Taylor Marshall and Tim Gordon were doing a, a podcast together. Uh, so I started to listen to a lot of that. And that's where I learned about the Latin mass and sort of um, missing things. And, you know, it's just it kind of is a rabbit hole after that. It just kind of uh, plunges you into that. And then eventually I found Charles Coulomb because I I felt his um, his manner of speaking his interest, his him being a historian fit fit my interests and um, lo, you know loves of history fit it fit that mold so well. And I had always found um, history so interesting when there were kings and stuff. And I felt I always thought history was so boring once you got into sort of um, you know eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundreds. Because, you know, you you kind of left behind all this beauty and all you had was just, you know, industrialism and destruction and and, um, you know, nothing noble in war anymore. You know, that sort of thing. Like there's, you know, the romantic part of it just goes away. Um, And even but he's allowed me to see that there's still um, even stuff in modern history that can be um, can be just as interesting. Mm-hmm. And even then, it's still centered often around monarchy because you know because there's something beautiful about being a father to your people and stuff like that. It's interesting how um, history connects the dots to a lot of things we see in the present as well, and to into the future. You know, it, it, you know there there will be an end someday. You know, the Christ will come again the second time and. We're, uh, we're in the, I, you know, I'm not one of those guys that talks about the end times like doom and gloom because it could happen to any of us individually at any time. So it's no sense stressing about it, but we are truly in the end times after Jesus, uh, uh, his passion, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. We're in the end times now. That's the next step, right? And in, in the history mm-hmm. of salvation. So it's uh it's an intriguing time for us to, um, to live in. But it's also really important for us to look back in history too and see how the, the the dots have been connecting after all these centuries. And they do all point to the Catholic Church and Catholics themselves having a major, major role in this history of salvation and taking people to the cross and mm-hmm. uh, and bringing them back to, bringing them to Christ before uh, the second coming, whether that's the second coming and, and the, the uh, general judgment or anybody's uh, individual judgment, which could, again, happen at any time. So... Uh, so interesting. Now you mentioned uh, J.R. Tolkien. You mentioned C.S. Lewis. Uh, um, talk about some great uh, giants uh, of literature in the uh, the twentieth century. Uh, you also really love uh, the the movies, right? The the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, I've noticed you've talked a little bit about that. I guess there's a show. Is it on Amazon or something like that right now for kind of a Lord of the yeah. Rings uh, miniseries of some sort? I haven't watched it at all, and I haven't. Uh, I know you've got a series of different uh, episodes that you've done on it, so I'll have to catch up on that maybe. But uh, tell us uh, maybe about uh, you know our listeners. We have a lot of them that kind of get into that fiction world, uh, maybe that world of fantasy. And I know that, that t- speaking of rabbit holes, Connor, I mean, that's one you can go <laughs> down and find all kinds of nasty stuff. But uh, did how did the uh, those kind of books, uh, you know, specifically maybe The Lord of the Rings, uh, the uh, the Chronicles of Narnia in that series, uh, did that do what did that do for your faith? Yeah. I mean, beauty embodies the Catholic faith. Um, and when fiction is beautiful, it points to the Catholic faith. And even the, and really the, the story of my interest and um, you know, growing in the Catholic faith probably stems from my da- my desire of beauty. You know, that's where the Latin mass comes in and stuff like that. Like it's just so beautiful and um so reverent and so sort of accurate to what we're doing you know at mass you know it's sort of the embodiment but fiction sort of allows you to get into the minds of these characters who are going through things that are very much you know in some ways not what you're experiencing in the present but also spiritually what you are experiencing you are experiencing all these different stages it's just not as overt in your view um i mean 
the first Chronicles of Narnia is basically um, the um, passion of our Lord, but it's seen through the eyes of these kids and it's experiencing it through watching a lion who is sort of, I mean, Jesus is compared to a lion anyways. I mean, he's the lion of Judah. So in some ways, it's allowing us to experience the Bible and other different sort of um, biblical stories in a different manner that is more accustomed to our customs. We we don't experience or writing during the time of the Bible. That was just how writing was done. Like the way the Bible tells the story, tells all the different stories, including Christ's story is just my understanding it's just very much in the context of how they told stories back in those days and in some ways people need fiction to drive them into understanding the great the uh, the greater narrative in a way we're used to uh, hearing those stories so a lot of the stories are more you know intimate you know a lot more like de- descriptive you know sort of uh, date, you know, sort of, I don't know, you wouldn't know all the day-to-day stuff of Christ. Um, but if he, but if the story was being told probably and now they might've, it might be like, to be honest, it might be as long as, uh, like, you know, I don't know how long that the Bible would be. It would be humongous if it was written today yeah. from the yeah. literature perspective of our day. Because there's so much detail, so much um, emotion more uh, focused on, because that's kind of what we desire. We desire to know those those different uh, types of things. And so fiction allows us to experience sort of the, um, the a more intimate story these days. And Tolkien and Lewis did that in different ways. I mean... Lewis did it specifically only for like specifically with kids, but it's very, it's much more powerful than just, you know, kids literature. Kids literature is, um, is telling morals. And that's why it's so interesting for us to read them today, because if you read the Chronicles of Narnia, you learn a lot about the world. You learn a lot about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But most, but we don't always learn that when we're a kid these days. So you almost have to read it as an adult. Yeah. And it, and you catch a lot of other things even then. And then Tolkien is kind of setting the stage of, in some ways, a pre-Christ world, as well as mixing a lot of mythologies. I mean, Lewis does this too, mixing, but like more into, Lewis kind of has the myths show up just like flopping them in, you know, like there they are, like, there's a minotaur like that's pretty obvious what a minotaur is and he's just plopping down a minotaur from uh, greek mythology but bringing it into a christian story and then with tolkien he is sort of uh woving uh interwoving all these different myths but putting them in a way that the english-speaking world um today can understand as well as um mixing them with the faith and trying to tell a more sort of not always optimistic. He was a very, he had a very pessimistic view on history and um, mythology and stuff like that because, I mean, because he thought that the history was just a long defeat. And some people have said that that's because he was English and because the Catholic Church in England has had a, um, has just had a uh, history of persecution. But I actually think that. That's more ac- That's plenty accurate for every culture because if you think that every Catholic European culture or Latin American or just you know any Catholic culture has um, been unscathed basically by the last like 300, 400 years, you're wrong. That's not how that works. England may be a, the drama that you experience more often because you live in an English speaking world so you understand the the frustrations and the doom that has been felt by the Protestant Reformation 
has been felt by the decline or the uh, or the growth of the British Empire, United United States becoming more secular, everything being more secular. It seems like it's a never-ending defeat. Or, but in Europe, there's plenty of that too. It's just that you live in a certain experience, and that's where you what you're going to get, and you're just assuming. Okay, so in Europe, in the mainland. A lot of countries are still Catholic in sense. In the sense, they haven't been replaced necessarily, though Islam's trying to do that. Um, uh, but it's not like it's it's not like that faith is very strong either. It has um, it's all internal stuff. What we see in uh, England or um, English history, like we see sort of a non-internal uh, struggle. We see like we see it from the perspective of this thing came out of nowhere and destroyed our church and have taken everything. But really, it is an internal struggle. It's just that we see it from the perspective of sort of, you know, the outside interrupting us. But really, they were, we're dealing with an internal struggle. Europe's dealing with an internal struggle. Everything about this is this internal struggle against, um, against the Catholic faith. And that's what the, the battle that we're sort of, we're, we're pushed into. And a that you can see that much more clearly in fiction you can experience that clearly in fiction and you are given these desirable heroes to follow that actually show what good is other fiction doesn't show what good is and when you're surrounded by that type of thing you get into the um, position where you're you're willing to tolerate much more than is acceptable hmm. The struggle is real for sure. It's uh, it was uh, this is a great uh, Archbishop Sheen said, and and many saints have said it's uh, in Scripture that there is only two kingdoms: there's the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and there's the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, and uh, which there are no other kingdoms. You cannot sit on the fence. If you're sitting on the fence, you're in the kingdom of Satan. You you got to be all in, right? So, if you look throughout mm-hmm. history, and you even think of uh, even in the Old Testament, the stories of the Israelites where they'd have years, decades, sometimes centuries of prosperity. And then somehow, you know, they would, there'd be that rebellion, you know, just, just like, uh, just like the devil, uh, I will not serve. Uh, you know, that was where the Israelites were. And then throughout history and into Western civilization, we get these individual tribes that we call countries now, or, you know, that just, uh, you know, they, they start to rebel against, against God, that, that, which is good, the common good for all. Um, and mm-hmm. we're seeing that in Canada, the United States. Uh, it's it's a real battle. It's a real spiritual battle, isn't it, Connor? Like you can really feel yeah. it. It's it's thick in the world right now. So uh, and that's uh, between the truth and and the deception. So uh, that's really interesting. And you know, you you talk about maybe some other fantasy books, and I think we could probably dedicate a topic. Uh, you and I could probably talk for a, an hour just about Harry Potter. Uh, and about the, you know, how popular that's become, even with Catholic youth. I think it's pretty scary. I know my, my kids, we've, we've stayed far, far away from that. Uh, we've, you know, run into other families that have been okay with, uh, with having Harry Potter books around. You see them sometimes even in, uh, libraries at Catholic schools, which is, uh, I, uh, strongly disagree with, and you never see a, you know, the Lord of the Rings or anything like that. But what do you think is the, um, the, uh, the appeal to, and it's not just the Harry Potter's series there's there's many others as well but uh you know what do you think the the appeal is for especially for kids that are that are growing in their faith you know i think of we talk about parables right that's how jesus spoke in his stories in the time and you think of the seeds you know the good seed growing but then you think of some of the good seeds that went in the ground but they weren't properly nourished they weren't properly didn't get enough water they didn't get enough sunshine and then they they withered away and, and died. And I think often about our young people with that and all the the different distractions of this world. And uh, um, yeah, what do you say to uh, to maybe some families that uh, that have books like like Harry Potter that seem to glorify something or at least promote something that uh, is very clearly against the gospel, at least in my opinion. Yeah. So I actually have um, Joseph Pierce has uh, talked about this a little bit too. I don't have as much of a problem with um, reading Harry Potter. Now, I have a problem with probably children reading Harry Potter. It's ironic. It's a children's book, supposedly. But the people who should least be likely to read or least should read it 
um, are actually kids. Now, my philosophy is basically, and this is not that well formed necessarily, I don't think, I'm not like concrete about it necessarily, but what I would say is you should read every Catholic book, uh, children's book for your kids. Your kids should read Catholic books as many as you can, as many as they can read and get through before they could, should read any um, any um, books written by anybody else. It, it's not, there's no justification for it because we have plenty of Catholic fiction to read. And I think, I think from a sort of, what's the word? I think that there is a way to read Harry Potter. At least the first couple books uh, aren't exact are aren't exactly against the gospel, in my opinion. I think it gets very muddled muddled as the as the Harry Potter books progress. So there, you know, it, it gets more more dangerous over the course of of the series, and I think that really is because the author, you know, could do more of what she wanted. Or more sort of just um, to get more into it, kind of thing. Yeah, because it's 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 sometimes hard for me to sort of, um, you know, think about it. Because it's not that with Harry Potter, it's not that it's magical because there's magic in both Lewis and Tolkien. It's much more about sort of the philosophies within these um, stories. And I think as an interest sort of into what, um, like, as you grow older, I think you can read fiction that is, that has contrary elements for the purpose of interest. Because if I, if I read something, I can still, like, if I read a philosophy book about, like, Nietzsche or something, or, you know, sort of an atheist philosopher, I'm, if I go under the purpose of, I, this isn't going to affect me insofar as I'm not going to believe what they're trying to tell me. But if I wanted to learn what they believed, it's somewhat useful. Don't get me wrong. Harry Potter is not, is, I think, I think the biggest problem is actually the movies because they're the, they're much less, um, they're less problem. They're less of a problem in some sense because of their, uh, because they tone down some of the stuff that is a problem in jk rowling stuff and it becomes more like uh more okay for everyone more family friendly in some ways um there's a lot of dark elements in uh harry potter and i think i think it's dangerous for children because people because then they can confuse things and it is you know if you look at a lot of um millennials the only things they can compare things to are harry potter basically they just compare everything in um, re- in their own reality to Harry Potter, which just goes to show you that they've only read Harry Potter. I think it's dangerous, especially if the only thing you've ever read is Harry Potter, basically. Um, Harry Potter should be definitely one of the last things that you should be reading um, insofar as that. But I think there's definitely a discussion. I think there's an actual a way you can use Harry Potter as to sort of... Um, teaching the world how not to be necessarily, you know, I mean, just as there are bad things in the Bible, you know, used saying that they're bad, you can use Harry Potter as a way of explaining, you know, there's uh, different philosophical problems in there. And I'm not really sure the demonic nature of it. And that's not really my um, field, but I'm also willing to, acquiesce that there might be um some demonic element to it so i'm very in some ways i'm in the middle in of that sure. um, i think you got to consider uh, the authors too right connor and, and with their backgrounds so jk yeah. rowling versus uh J.R. tolkien or c.s lewis yeah. and, and where they're coming She's, from in their in their life as well right and what their their yeah. background was right and what they're trying to to portray in their books right i mean it's it's inevitable what you believe is going to come out in what you what you do whether that's uh, you know just in your everyday life or if you're writing columns or books or you're an entertainer on TV it's it's going to come out right I always mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's that's good advice too is just to you know make sure you have a discerning a discerning eye when it comes to what you what you look at what you read and uh, especially yeah, for our definitely kids. think about it yeah don't I, don't just take my uh, perspective 
like when I when any if anybody asks me about Harry Potter, you know, it's don't take my perspective as what you should do necessarily. I'm not really uh, I'm not an expert in that area. It's just this is just how I see it. The only reason I the one the re- reason I, I don't I do not like hearing from parents is where they say, well, at least they're reading. It's like as <laughs> as if there's like nothing else to read outside of Harry Potter. There's nothing good. Yeah. There's no good Catholic uh, books to read for for kids or even non-Catholic yeah. books that are good. Like you know, this is the only thing that they're you know that's out there that's really good, and at least they're reading it, right? So, but mm-hmm. uh, no, uh, definitely an interesting uh, conversation, and uh, you know, always seems to pop up every now and then, especially uh, getting close to Halloween and. And uh, mm. all of a sudden, these these types of stories come up, and what kind of books are good to read? Now, before uh, we let you go, Connor, I I got to ask you about plot lines. This this podcast that you have, a, a very good one, and you've got a YouTube channel as well. So, what inspired you to to start plot lines? And uh, and uh, you must uh, must really enjoy it. I mean, you've been doing it for several years too, right? So, yeah, tell us a little bit about the podcast. Yeah, so I thought of it originally. So I I'm writing my own fiction at the moment and nothing's nothing's done nothing's out i don't know when anything will be done or out but uh, um i think it's four years ago maybe uh, i started doing a podcast um part of me was just i wanted to talk about fiction i wanted to talk about stories and then slowly it became also catholic uh focused as well just as my faith progressed. So it really wasn't built. It wasn't built on Catholicism exactly. It was, I mean, faith in some sense, but it wasn't the driving force originally. It's become that more so as I've grown and I've um, gained more knowledge. But it was originally very much fiction based. And then um, uh, politics always creeps in sometimes. Uh, not usually contemporary politics, but sometimes. And then, it, so really, my interest in fiction is really what uh, compelled me to do this. And then eventually, I started um, to do interviews of, with people. And that um, that was something I did not expect. I would never have thought that that's something that I would have done. But there are just some things that I wanted to know and that I wanted to talk to people about. And the only way you can really do that these days is through podcasts. Um, so by having people on the podcast gave me the opportunity to learn for myself as well as help other people to learn things that I didn't know or that I couldn't um, elo- um, eloquently uh, explain as well as other people. And then, you know, a lot of it is just culture you know wanting to have um wanting for there to be some elements of catholic culture that people can uh, hold on to and uh spreading that and you know uh, i love talking so it that uh it helps with that but yeah also regarding my episodes on the rings of power tv show um i wouldn't necessarily suggest anyone watch the show so um, I, I'm in sense, in some sense, I'm watching it. So some people don't have to, if they mm-hmm. don't want to, if, uh, I can watch it and tell them how bad it is pretty much. And then, um, and then that's it. That's but, all I've heard is negative reviews, to be honest with you, Cotter. So I haven't really been too interested in that. I love the movies, right? I really enjoyed the, the six yeah. movies that came out and, uh, but, uh, yeah, this one's a little bit different. It just didn't have the fanfare. And then you talk to a lot of people and they're like, yeah, it's not really, too true to the, the books or anything like that. <laughs> the One of the things that's kind of funny is, in my opinion, the best criticism is just that it's boring. Hmm. Like, it'd be one thing if it was terrible insofar as, like, it, um, it um, was pushing all the boundaries and doing, like, a lot of immoral things or whatever, you know. It'd be one thing if it was doing that, but it's not. It's just boring. It's just a lot of political garbage seeping mm. into um, Tolkien's work and a lot of uh, uh, just banality and, you know, just kind of, it's poorly done mm. for so much money being put into something. It's just so poorly. Should done. add a few more explosions, right? You think of some great movies of the past and uh, 
you really think about the actual plot of the movie but uh, really what saved it was a few explosions and some cool chase scenes and that's about what saved it and that's what you remember from it <laughs> yeah and i think actually people are bored by that yeah like, i don't think people are interested like a lot of movies fail these days because they have explosions and they have like fight scenes and then their to- story is terrible and nobody wanted nobody wanted to see the movie because mm-hmm. they were like well this doesn't didn't give me anything mm-hmm. this wasn't enjoyable in any capacity like i can go back to other movies and watch uh, there are movies that there are good fight scenes and good um and, and good uh, story so you can get that other places but not in modern movies these days no that's for sure you look at some real classic movies from like the the 40s, 50s, uh, there's some real good uh, storytelling back then that I think has been lost on a lot of people, right? Might not have, like yeah. you said, like the, you know, the fireworks and uh, uh, explosions and things like that. But uh, they sure know how to tell a pretty good story back then. And it usually had a nice uh, nice moral background to it that, that ultimately mm-hmm. pointed to the truth of, of Christ without maybe being as explicit about it. But Certainly had yeah. a lot of elements of truth, right? So, so with uh, mm-hmm. with plot lines, uh, that's that's a, an exciting uh, podcast you have, and I think that uh, we need more of that, right? We need more. So many people listen to podcasts now. Hardly anybody listens to terrestrial radio. I mean, I haven't listened to terrestrial radio in man probably seven or eight years now. Like you know, the odd time it might come on your your car or something like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a neat. Uh, a neat new thing, the new media that Catholics can reach out to not only fellow Catholics, but also to uh, the rest of the world, the rest of the community. I mean, I, I was saying that St. Paul would have loved this uh, medium to, uh, to reach people with the gospel. He had to, uh, he had to yeah, walk podcasts. everywhere. Yeah. But, uh, but I was also thinking of a, you know, a Pope like Pope John Paul II. I mean, he just traveled so much. I mean, it'd be pretty incredible to see that kind of uh, travel and that sort of uh, uh, following through social media now with a Pope that would go around the world like that. It'd be pretty, pretty interesting to see how that would all shake out in today's world. But, uh, yeah, Connor, it's been a, a real blessing to have you. Can you remind our listeners and or at least share with them where they can find your, your work? Yeah. So plot lines is on all, um, our most pod, uh, podcasting sites. So Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, Interesting enough, some people don't know that you can you can have video podcasts on Spotify. So my um, my podcast is a is a video podcast on Spotify, um, and then also YouTube. Uh, if you wanted to go over to Plot Lines on YouTube, um, uh, if you think my work's worth worth listening to or watching, please subscribe. Um, but yeah, so and I'm on Twitter um, as well, so. Uh, all places you can find me. That sounds great. And we'll definitely uh, put those in the show notes to track you down as well, Connor. So I hope we can stay in touch. It was really nice to, to meet you and uh, yeah. talk about uh, a little bit about the gospel and about your journey of faith. And I uh, look forward to chatting with you again sometime in the future. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. It was wonderful meeting you. Well, a big thanks again to Connor McHugh for joining us in this episode of the Catholic and podcast. Again, you can listen to his podcast called plot lines on Spotify, or wherever you find your fine pods. And of course, he's got his YouTube channel. Lots of great content that Connor puts out and uh, continue to pray for him and his apostolate and uh, thank him for his insights and uh, look forward to staying in touch with him. And again, you know, when you think about books, I mean, age appropriate, of course, but we can always get into the Bible. We can always get into the catechism, the lives of the saints, other good uh, Catholic books, good Christian books. And our enthusiasm as adults you know, it'll definitely transfer to our children. When they see that we're enthusiastic about us learning our faith, growing into a deeper relationship with Jesus, they're going to follow the same thing. They're going to follow the example. And I encourage you to read a good book, get off those electronics. I know I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes I watch a little too much TV or look at my phone too much and get a good book and share that time and share the content with your children and with the rest of your family. Well, thanks for listening to the Catholic Canuck podcast, everyone. What a blessing. Thanks for all of your great notes and staying in touch with me and chatting with me. We have people from all over the world that listen. It's so cool. This universality of our church is something that uh, I do not take for granted. And it's such a blessing for all of us. And a reminder to follow us on Facebook and on Twitter, uh, anywhere on social media. And uh, 
subscribe to our podcast, share it, and drop us a review as well. We'd really appreciate that. And of course, Catholics, at Sacramental Life, we need that more than ever. And we got to go to confession at least three times every year, every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. Chat with you very soon.